podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. If you were here last week, you would have heard Tony talk about the banter that's been going on between Paul here and... uh, and me regarding whether I needed a stool to sit on or not. And uh, <laughs> I wasn't offended, like Tony said, but I did question Paul's uh, judgment. So um, I don't need a stool, thank you very much. Uh, just a couple of things. Um, in 2013, I wrote this little book, and it's, uh, it's a parable about the Father's love how my eyes and heart were opened to the Lord in a, in a brand new way when I least expected it. So um, I brought you one as a gift, okay? So like a free gift, like you don't have to pay for it, right? So, <laughs> so they'll be out there so you can pick one up and um, it's got nice photos in it. So you have me here uh, this week and next week, so... Uh, I'm on tour, apparently. So we're gonna, I'm going to tell you some stories this week and carry on in the same vein. Next week, we'll probably look at some uh, kingdom stuff and some healing stories. Um, I want to show you this slide. That one. Now, if I had a tattoo, and I don't have one, this is what I'd get, okay? It's, it's kind of looks kind of cryptic, right? Um, but it's an ultra-simple way to picture God's big story. From left to right, you've got creation, rebellion, Old Testament promise, Christ and the gospel, New Testament mission, and create new creation or renewed creation. I love it. It's really simple. It's from, um, from a book by Christopher Wright, Call, I think it's called something like How to Preach through the, through the Old Testament or something, for all it's worth. One of those things, anyway. So six acts of the big story. And that starts with in the beginning, okay? And then go and ends with the narrative in Revelation 22 of and they will reign forever and ever. It's an epic story with a cast of thousands and thousands. And we are here in the story. That's where, you know, that's where we are. And we're on this world stage, this world screen, whatever you want to put it. Just for a, a few short minutes, guys. Just for a couple of minutes in the grand scheme of things. And yet, as God's beloved children... Our stories matter. All our stories matter. They, they really, really do. And I wonder if you believe that this morning, that your story matters at all. Because the stories, they take place in real time. There's no retakes. You get to do your own stunts, you know, and all that stuff. And as Christians, we know, at least in theory, of how we're to relate in this mission thing to the world around us, right? It's by love. Loving God, trusting Him, 
being loved by him and loving others in the process. It's a nice kind of Hallmark-esque storyline, okay? That is until it goes belly up and goes horribly wrong. Um, <laughs> suddenly you find yourself way off script and everything sucks big time. Um, it's a bit like this. I've been a drummer all my life, which is not to be confused with a musician. <laughs> this, that's for you, Joe. Okay. <laughs> and um, I'm one of those guys that was very nearly famous in the 70s, but didn't quite get there. And so at the end of the 70s, and this is the 1970s, right? Just in case. Um, just in case. You know, he kind of looks a bit old. Yeah, yeah. But not that old, right? And so um, uh, I was playing uh, with, um, in a very kind of exper experimental kind of, kind of music. I don't know how to describe it to you. Um, It'd be very different to anything. You, but I guess the, the, the nearest you'd get to it is kind of modern classical music, but it's all improvised anyway. So I was playing with this group, and we uh, got to do a tour of Italy. There was a saxophone player, my friend Paul, trombone, uh, trumpet player, and uh, bass player, and, and me. And um, we played uh, five or six gigs Uh, in Italy, we did a couple in Rome. We did one at the Opera House, which was very weird because the stage at the Opera House, like any opera stage, is on a slant, you know. If you're sitting behind a drum kit going downhill, it doesn't quite work out. So we did that, but we also did a couple of gigs with a big band from the radio station in Rome. There about 25 of these guys, great players. And we got to Venice... And they were going to record, um, record a session um, that we were doing live. And I didn't have drums with me, so they, uh, they rented a kit. And it was great. It was white. That's all I remember. And, you know, brand new kit, brand new cymbals and everything. And they had a, instead of a drum stool, they had a piano stool. Brand new thing. I thought, okay, great. So we played and rehearsed. And this particular piece... Um, The, the orchestra kind of, the, the band cut out, just leaving me and a saxophone player just doing this duet for, for, for about two or three minutes, just kind of tearing the whole thing up. And the cue into the next section was me, I was going to say something then, but I won't, hitting very forcefully the cymbal. <laughs> uh, and, and then Paul, who was, you know, um, conducting, would bring in 25, 30 other guys. So going through the piece, and then it's the duet time. And going at it, going at it, going at it, going at it. And I went, hit the cymbal with everything that was within me, which coincided exactly with the top of the stool saying goodbye to the thread on the, on the seat. I was on my butt looking at my snare drum. And Paul, who hadn't seen any of this, he literally went like that and then collapsed in laughter. So, there's no way that you can make that look like I meant to do that. 
So I sheep, sheepishly, sheepishly screwed the stool back together, sat down, and joined in. You know, so you know I talked about stools at the beginning, and now this is an, another stool, and you've got Paul and a stool, and my friend Paul. So it's obviously heavily prophetic, right? <laughs> Or pathetic. So what am I getting at here? I'm getting at we're invited to into God's big story, and gifted. The incredible vocation of representing Him well in every area of our lives, yet, for all kinds of reasons, we often get stuck in our part of the story. That's when our eyes are easily blinded to God's reality, and our hearts kind of get in danger of rusting over through discouragement, disappointment. Just like my experience in Venice, everything seems to be going great. This is fantastic, and then crash. You're on your butt, looking at your life from a different angle completely. Or to change the analogy, the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel turns into a Mack truck that's coming at you yet again. You know, hurtling toward you at breakneck speed. And however you say that sort of thing, something. Needs to happen. Something needs to happen, and thank God it often does, time and time again. If we have eyes to see, the Lord does indeed do something. Usually, when we least expect it, He runs a kingdom intervention, if you will, in ways we have no convenient box for. Dallas Willard had many. Kind of pithy sayings, which are great, but uh, one of my favourites uh, from Dallas was,、uh, "If you want to know God's address, if you want to find out where God lives, you'll always find it at the end of your rope." And that's basically what happens to the two characters in the two stories we heard earlier. The Lord runs intervention, resulting in a massive shift in their perspective as their eyes and their hearts are opened afresh to His possibilities, to God's possibilities. We heard about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, and this is their aha moment. When He was at the table with them, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized Him. He disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, "Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road, and opened the scripture to us?" Then, in Second Kings, we heard the story of Elisha, how he prays for his servant, and this is what goes down there. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord! What shall we do? The servant asked, "Don't be afraid." The prophet answered, "Those who are with us are more than those who are with them." And Elisha prayed, "Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see." Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Both stories are summed up excellently. By Richard Hayes in his book *Echoes of Scripture in the Gospels*, 
he describes uh, the breakthrough moment, the moment of recognition for the two disciples and Elisha's servant like this. Quote, the plodding Emmaus disciples, like Elisha's servant, are seeing the world through a veil of fear and discouragement. But when their eyes are opened by Jesus the prophet, like Elijah, the veil falls away and a fiery new world opens before them, disclosing the mighty power of God to save. The veil falls away, opened eyes, opened hearts, renewed hope. And my hope for those of us here today are for, who are, for whatever reason, nearing the end of your rope or at the end of it, that uh, we could pray for you at the end. And you don't have to disclose anything to anyone. But the presence of God would be enough. And uh, can see what happens there. When I was um, diagnosed with prostate cancer at late 2010, I had to completely reassess where I was in the Jesus loves me, this I know department. <laughs> Suddenly, I didn't quite know anymore. And it was scary. And consequently, Lynn and I had to go on a bit of a journey to find out. And my book came from that place of discovery. But I do know this. I do know this. That God's unlimited, unwavering love is always, always moving toward us. Especially, especially when, he, when we think it's not. What do I mean by that? Well, let me take you to Luke's gospel. And Luke 15, to illustrate the radical nature of God's love, Jesus tells a story. It's a well-known story about the so-called prodigal son. It's really about the father's love and the compassion he has for his two lost boys. The younger one lost outside the father's house and the other lost inside the father's house. Did you know? It's possible to be lost inside the father's house. I want to highlight just one verse. It's where the youngest son, total desperation, is finally returning to his village with the vain hope of negotiating some kind of deal for himself as an apprentice tradesman. He's done the math. This is his best shot. This is his only shot. Returning as a son is completely out of the question. Why? Well, because by leaving home, as he did, he's brought great disgrace on his father. The communities there are like really tight. Um, now, having exhausted all options, he's skulking back to his village, where barring some sort of miracle, he will definitely face rejection by the community because they're disgruntled and they're oh, Pretty mad. But here's what happens. And this is verse 20, speaking of the youngest son. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. 
threw his arms around him and kissed him. This, guys, is no peck on the cheek. The guy is smelling like a pig, and it doesn't matter a hoot. It's a total deluge of affection. Here, in this moment, is the moment of true repentance. As the son's eyes and his heart are opened to the magnitude of his father's love for him. And finally, he surrenders to that love. Finally. Which had been there all the time if he'd had eyes to see it. That's the Jesus version of what God's heart is toward each one of us right there. You can read the Father's action for yourselves in Luke 15. But I like to summarize them like this. The Father's love like this. I call it the watching, waiting, running, embracing, kissing, reinstating, extravagantly celebrating love of the Father. This kind of preemptive strike of amazing grace, this freight train of unconditional love rams into the boy. Finding the son, bringing bringing him home to the father's house and more importantly, home to the father's heart as well. Such is the quality of the love that also pursues us and insists on finding us that patiently watches for us and sees us, a love that embraces us, a love that lavishes affection on us, no matter what condition we're in, a love that restores us as sons and daughters and that celebrates our homecoming into the Father's heart. The Lord sees everything that is going on in our stories. And everything that takes place behind the scenes of our lives, nothing is hidden. And he's never taken by surprise. He's never phased one iota by what he sees. He moves, he acts in all, kind of, all kinds of creative and surprising ways in order to apprehend us with his love and, he, and to prove that he is always and ever an ever-present help in times of trouble. It's incredible to see that in action. It's incredible to see that in action. Let me tell you a rather um, bizarre slash odd story about seeing and being seen um, and what God can do when you least expect it. It's the only experience I've had like it Um, yet it speaks so much to me of the mercy that that the Lord has for for those of us who, for whatever reason, find themselves out of all options and at the end of their rope or close to it. Some years ago, Lynn and I went back. This is Lynn, by the way. Person. Uh, to the UK to visit my mom in Wales. And this was a few days prior to me uh, speaking at our old vineyard church in London, and then we were going to come back to the U.S. Uh, we dutifully arrived in a remote uh, bed and breakfast in the middle of nowhere late Tuesday evening and went to bed early. So it, now it's around 2 a.m. on Wednesday morning. And I'm wide awake, 
with nowhere to go. It's like a converted stable unless you want to stand in the bathroom, you know. It's, it's, not, it's not what you do, right? Uh, so I thought, yeah, well, I'll pray for Sunday, for the, you know, the, the Sunday service, which was coming up in five days' time. So I dutifully did that, silently, of course, so as not to wait Lynn, Lynn who was sleeping. Um, when surprisingly, I mean, amazingly, I don't know, bizarrely, whatever the word is, this video started up in my little drummer brain. You know, it's just started. It's like watching a movie. And um, in a kind of waking dream, I saw in my mind's eye a woman who was named Ruth. I have no clue how I knew her name was Ruth. I just thought, hey, Ruth, you know, or whatever. And she was looking up, desperately crying out to God, God, do you even see me? Do you even know I exist? And I sensed, I didn't hear anything or see anything, I just sensed the Lord's tender but emphatic response to her was, I see you. And I knew he meant not just physically, but in an intensive care kind of way. Because he continued, I see you, and my love for you is intensive and extensive. It's absolutely complete. Well, that was weird. That was either God or jet lag. Okay, So I guess I'll find out next Sunday. So I got up and dutifully wrote the whole thing down. So... Fast forward five days till the following Sunday and the church service. After my message, which went really well, um, I think, <laughs> uh, I figured, well, here goes, and repeated what I'd seen and heard the previous Wednesday morning. I said something like, I believe, I believe, uh, that <laughs> early last Wednesday morning, the Lord showed me that there may be a lady here named Ruth and God wants to specifically and simply say to you, I see you, and my love for you is intensive and extensive, absolutely complete. And I said, does that resonate? There's 600, 700 people in the room. Does that resonate with anyone? I got the same response. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I thought, ah, oh. so it was jet lag. <laughs> so later, we're at lunch with our former pastors and really dear friends, Rick and Lulu Williams. And <laughs> Lulu, she's kind of noshing on some chicken, and she casually mentioned that the word I'd given that morning was incredibly significant for her friend named... Ruth, ah, now she tells me, you know, I could have looked good in front of 600 people. But I didn't. Evidently, she knew Ruth really well and told me what a caring, giving person she was. And the backstory to that Sunday morning, which, which was this. So on the day that Lynn and I arrived in the UK on um, Tuesday... Ruth learned that her teaching job was changing. She wasn't l losing her job, but it was changing. And so it was effectively adding much more stress to her life, which was already pretty maxed out because she was trying to take care of two teenage boys plus 
a husband who was permanently wheelchair-bound. And so all this pressure and this stress was coming, came to a head. Six days later, she stood alone in her kitchen before the service. And she's standing there before the service. She looks up at the, at the ceiling and says, God, do you even see me? Do you even know that I exist? And if God was anywhere, according to Ruth, he was to be found at least a zillion miles away, as far as she was concerned. Desperate, overwhelmed, utterly frustrated. God, do you even see me? Do you even know that I exist? The exact same words I'd got from my whatever that was, previous, you know, the download or whatever you want to call it. How does he do that? I have no clue. You know, why didn't Ruth respond right away during the service was my question. Apparently, the reason she didn't was that she was completely blown away. Or, as we like to say in the UK, gobsmacked. It's, that's what we say. Smacked in the gob. Yeah, wow. She was sitting on, the, sitting on a chair, just, just shaking her head. And all she could say is, he does see me. He does know me. He knows my name. He knows and he loves me. And it's just like a thing she kept repeating. That's all she could think of. Here's the thing, guys. Without anything, without anything changing in her circumstances... Everything changed. Without anything changing, everything changed. And after the evening service, I was standing there, and I saw this smile walking across the room with a body attached to it. And uh, she said, I'm Ruth. I said, I know. How are you doing? And she smiled even bigger, you know, grinned even bigger. She said, oh, I'm doing really great, thanks. And I could see she meant every word. Now, nothing like that has happened to me before or since, as far as I know. But on that occasion, while Ruth was still a long way off, her father saw her and not only found her with his compassionate love, but opened her eyes and her heart to new possibilities. Apostle Paul closes off his prayer. A great prayer in Ephesians 3, like this. He says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. What's he able to do? Exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Lynn and I had traveled a few thousand miles to visit my mom. And the Lord took the opportunity to get us all tangled up in his merciful agenda for one person. Just one person. I don't think he went out of his way. I don't think he went out. Open eyes, open hearts, all around. Job done. I want to finish by reading this psalm to you and if you guys want to trot up Psalm 46 which I thought was appropriate way to hit the symbol 
God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.